0: Hi, friends, thanks for joining us tonight for Saturday Night Supper Club. I'm excited to introduce Pastor Bob Holloway. He'll be sharing the story of Lazarus and how Jesus called Lazarus forth from the tomb and then instructed his friends, Lazarus' friends, to unbind his grave clothes. Just like Lazarus, we all need a healthy Christian community that will unbind all of our hurts, our habits, our hang ups, our addictions the wounds that we've grown up with to help us to move forward in the destiny that God has for us. You know, you know now more than ever, this world needs healthy Christians. It needs Christians who are empowered in their destiny. It needs Christians that are healed and whole. And we need a healthy Christian community to make that happen. So I just encourage you to reach out to the people around you. Be a healthy community of the people that are in your space, that are in your influence, and also reach out to get healing if you need to be healed. This is a time of great stress. You know, we're under a lot of stress and under a a lot of pressure right now in America. What that means is we need to draw closer to each other, but especially draw closer to the Lord. I pray that you have a blessed Thanksgiving next Thursday, and I want you to remember, God is on the throne. God is sovereign. He sees you. He sees America. He has a plan for America. He has not forgotten us. We have a great destiny in him. So lift your head up, take hope, um, just praise God and be thankful with the friends and the family that you are with and trust him that he's going to get us through this. Thank you so much. I hope you have a great and blessed Thanksgiving.
1: Good evening and welcome to Saturday Night Supper Club. I wish I could see all your faces, but this is our present reality, isn't it? (laughs) Like many of you, Janet and I are in time out due to this pandemic, but we want you to know that we miss you all very much and sincerely hope that you're doing well. Kind of tracking some of you on Facebook and by texting and various other things, trying to stay in touch, but it's nothing like being in person, is there? Uh, for some time now I've been mulling over a passage in the Bible that I think has significance for the church in our foreseeable future and I think it raises some questions we want to consider moving forward the the first question we want to talk about tonight is one we always ask as we become aware of the presence of God when we're reading scripture if you're if you're reading the Bible and you become aware that there's something going on in that moment we tend to or I tend to ask well, Lord, what does this mean? Uh, I don't mean just in Bible times, but for us today, for your people in the year 2020, what are you saying? And there's another question that uh, we always ask, at least I ask, as I become aware of the presence of God. And I get some understanding of what he's saying about in the future, in the present, that is. I always ask him, well, what do you want me to do with this idea? What. How do we embrace your words? What must we do to accomplish what's on your heart? How can we respond and be obedient, be a blessing, be effective? And I think this will all become more clear as we read this scripture together. So if you have your Bibles, turn with me to John chapter 11. It's a rather long story. So for the sake of time, I'm going to give you some backstory and then we'll begin midstream about uh, verse 17. In this chapter, we're, we look at the story of Lazarus. He's a man who lives in Bethany and he, he's a brother to Martha and Mary. And In our story, he is described as being, at this point, being very sick and so much so that, that the, his two sisters have sent messengers to Jesus to come quickly and to, to come and heal him. But we see something strange in this story. Jesus is delayed in his response to them. Not, by circumstances or any natural causes. He's delayed by the Spirit of God. So there's something else going on here. So after waiting several days, Jesus finally confides in his disciples and said that, that um, in fact, Lazarus has died and that it happened that way for a reason. So we're going to begin at verse 17 with Jesus. And he's finally arriving in Bethany, and this is after Lazarus' death. So when Jesus arrived, he found that he, uh, Lazarus, had already been in the tomb four days. I think John tries to put this in proper perspective, perspective because he mentions that Bethany was near Jerusalem, only about two miles away. So we're aware of that statement that Jesus could have responded rather quickly, but he didn't. And so it goes on to verse 19 and says, After a and a considerable number of the Jews had gone out to see Mary and Martha, to console them concerning their brother. When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him, while Mary remained sitting in the house. Now, I'm sure Mary was probably extremely upset with Jesus' delay and didn't know how to deal with her disappointment, so she waited in her home. Uh, The story makes it clear that she was deeply grieved with her brother's death and was dealing with her thoughts and feelings about why uh, Jesus didn't come and, and heal him when he should have. You ever asked yourself that same question? I have. I've asked questions like, when I need you the most, God, where were you? Or don't you even care about me right now? Maybe I'm not as spiritual as you are, but <laughs> I've asked those questions lots of times. Well, I think this story goes a long way in addressing those questions. Maybe I can unpack that a little bit for us. In verse 21, we see that... Um, Mary's sister, Martha, is is pretty quick and getting right. She's very direct and gets right to the subject. She confronts Jesus with her frustration and confusion. And Martha says to Jesus, Master, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. So it tells us a lot, doesn't it? it? And because it's Jesus, she quickly adds a little disclaimer. And even now, I know that whatever you ask from God, he will grant it to you. Jesus said to her, your brother shall rise again. And Martha replied, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. Now, see what follows here. The Lord begins to maneuver this and steer this in a different direction to give her uh, the big picture. And he did this with Job. And he's doing that with Martha here. And he said, yeah, you see this, but let me tell you, this is going on. So he says here's what's important Martha and he lays out what we've come to know as a beautiful picture of the gospel. It's the good news of God and Jesus says to her I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me although he may die yet he shall live and whoever continues to live and believes in me shall never actually die at all. So he's saying something here he's He's given her a perspective on this that's spiritual rather than natural. And then he asks her, do you believe this? Do you believe that this is who I am? And she said, oh, yes. I have believed. I do believe that you are the Christ, the Messiah, the Anointed One, the Son of God, even he who has was to come into the world. And so there's some discourse there. And, and Martha leaves Jesus and goes immediately to find her sister Mary and tells her, that Jesus had, <clears throat> has called for her to come and to to come to him. And so when Mary came to the place where Jesus was and she saw him, she dropped down at his feet, saying to him, Exactly what was on her heart, exactly what was on Martha's heart. Lord, if you had been here, my brother brother would not have died. You could have saved him, but you didn't bother to come. He didn't she didn't put it that way, but Jesus' next response should forever answer our question. Do you even care, Lord? So look at this picture. This is more, I want you to get into this scene with me. This is something I want you to get in touch with emotions. I want you to hear the words. I want you to immerse yourself in the story. Because I'm going to tell it to you and I want you to feel it. When Jesus saw her sobbing and the Jews who came with her also sobbing, he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. Now in the Amplified it says, <clears throat> he chafed in spirit and sighed and was disturbed. He chafed in spirit and sighed and was disturbed. And he said, where have you laid him? And they said to him, "Lord, come and see." Now, verse thirty-five that follows is the being the shortest verse in the Bible, is just pregnant with meaning. It's full. It's ripe, and I want to I want to just open it up and, and let you see it because it says two words: Jesus wept, and it wasn't a little moist eyes kind of cry. Well, you see a little tear there. It was an outpour of emotion. Or as the Passion Bible tells us, then tears streamed down his face. And once and for all, the question of whether God cares is answered in the compassion of Jesus. This should never be our question again. Even the crowd remarked. The Jews said, see how tenderly he loved him, but they they still had that same question that Martha and Mary had asked. Could not he who opened a blind man's eyes have prevented this man from dying? See, to the onlookers, the most important question was Lazarus' untimely death. Life and death in the natural was what they could see. They couldn't see beyond that moment and were blinded to the the spiritual activity all around them. This was a a Kairos moment. It was a defining moment in history and time that was being recorded. But let's go on because Jesus' pain is not over. He's still gut-wrenching over this death of his friend and he's, he's emotional. He's a human being feeling pain. The extreme emotion continued to pour out of his heart as he approached Lazarus' grave. And his next words answered their question. Now Jesus, again, again sighing repeatedly and deeply disquieted, approached the tomb. It was a cave and a boulder lay against the entrance to it. And he said, Jesus said, take away the stone. It's interesting here that him being who he is, he could have said any number of things. He could have said, Stone be gone. He could have said, stone be removed. He could have, but he didn't. So who was he speaking to when he told them to take away the stone? Was it angels or someone in heaven? Who did he command to remove the stone? It was Lazarus' family and friends, his his community, his people, who had gathered to grieve his passing. Next, I want you to see this. Martha, the sister of the dead man, exclaimed, But Lord, by this time he is decaying and throws off an offensive odor, for he's been dead four days. And Jesus said to her, Did I not tell you and promise to you that if you would believe and rely on me, you would see the glory of God? So there's something in this moment where God's purpose is that, first of all, they would see the glory of God, the and one translation, glory and goodness are synonymous. Does the goodness of God manifest in a, a, observably in front of mankind? There's something about that that people have to deal with. And so it was incumbent. It was part of this whole point. This is part of the purpose. Was that people would see the glory of God and have to respond to it. And so they, and who are the they here in this, that took away the stone? It's the Lazarus community. And Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you've heard me. And then he, he makes a remark here that's as if to say off to the side, as if he was responding to some unheard voice. He says, yes, I know you always hear and listen to me. But I've said this on account of, and for the benefit of the people standing around. Huh. Remember that, the people standing around. And this was the community of Lazarus. This was Martha and Mary's friends. These were the community they lived in, the neighborhood, the friends, the people of the same um, tribe. And they were standing around. So that he was, he said, this is for their benefit, so that they may believe that you did send me, that you made me your messenger. So the glory of God could come into this moment so they would see him, Jesus, as the messenger of God and they would believe in him. This had purpose. This had spiritual intent. It was, it was foreordained. <laughs> All this had been planned from eternity so that people who were standing around would witness the glory of God moving in their midst. And then so then they would be ushered into something very special. There's an invitation and seeing this. It's like Moses standing before the burning bush, the the glory of God, and it was for a purpose, and the purpose was invitation. In the moment of confrontation with the glory of God, there's something about this that opens our heart to the words of God that want us to rush in and embrace him and be part of what he's doing. So these people... That were standing around would be ushered into the ministry of Jesus as the first church in the New Testament time. God had heard their prayers for Lazarus, and this moment was his response. When he said this, he shouted with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. Why did he say that? Why did he call for Lazarus by name? You may have heard this before. But it's really interesting and it's impactful because at his command, everyone, all of the dead from the beginning of time would have risen up out of their graves had he not named the person that was to be risen. This was not a time for the resurrection of all mankind, all the dead. This was a time for one man to come forth in this moment so that it could be chronicled. In the word of God. Now, see the point in this method, in his method. We are his body and the extension of his ministry. And we are the testimony of the activity of God on earth. God moves through us. People observe that. They recognize that it's God and they're drawn to that activity. And you're saying, so so let me just say this. So he commanded Lazarus' friends to take on their role in the healing ministry of Jesus to their friend. He involved them. He said, you do this, and you do this, and he began to instruct them. God had brought the power. He'd initiated the purpose and brought the power, and now he was engaging the body in becoming who they were meant to be. And you ask him, well, what process is that? Wasn't Lazarus healed? when Jesus told him to rise up and come forth? Yes, he was. But he was still bound by his grave shroud. Something in the natural needed to come alongside, someone in the natural needed to come alongside and began to unwrap him. That's the job of the church, my friends. This was Lazarus' moment. God was answering their prayers and healing their friend, but that's not the whole story, is it? This moment was the occasion of the birth of the church of Jesus Christ. And the Bible tells us, And out walked the man who had been dead. His hands and feet were wrapped in burial cloths at his linen strips, and with a burial napkin bound over his face. Here's this man completely enshrouded, covered with wrappings, burial shroud, grave clothes with a napkin over his face and somehow he finds his way to the entrance of the cave following the voice that beckons him and he comes out and he stands there still helpless but alive. He's a new creation but he's bound by his old self. His old trappings, his old thinking, there's something in him that still remains. And out walked the man who had been dead, his hands and feet wrapped. And Jesus says to them, The community of believers, the friends of Lazarus, Mary, and Martha, you free him of the burial wrappings and let him go. In other words, let him be unbound. You do it, all you regular, common people of God. Take your place, speak God's words over each other with power, and let the world watch you. And let the power of God become evident. This is a demonstration of, I believe, the end times church. And it is our calling. As Jesus comes to bring new life, it is the role of the church, the community of believers, to respond by removing the grave clothes of the past. In a memory who, um, of who he had been, and the stench of his former self was to be removed. This is, this is a high calling, and it's not easily understood. That's why, Because I think there's more to this than, a, than just a feel-good story about Lazarus coming back to life. Everybody applauding and being happy and going home. Something happened here in the Spirit. This is significant. So we'll go back to our questions of the, at the beginning of our talk. The first question was, what does this mean for us today, Lord? It seems to me this was a, a picture of the community of believers moving in their role. To partner with Jesus in his ministry to the lost, the broken, and the captive. It's his invitation for us to join him. And he's he's not asking us, would you like to? He said, do this with each other. And so the second question that we come to then, what should our response be? Well, we have to ask ourselves, what would it look like for Jesus to do this in our community? if he starts raising people to new life, what would be our response? And I hear the Lord say in this, unwrap them from their grave clothes. You do it in the power of the one who lives within you. If we're honest, we would say, but Lord, how do we do that? How do we remove the stench and corruption of the past? How do we set the captive free? And the how is the... That's a question for another time, I think, because today was just about the why, the what. There's an invitation to join him in your calling and your purpose. And we can do this because it was hardwired into us with the arrival of the Holy Spirit. When God came to live in you, he brought everything he needed and everything you needed to accomplish through you everything he had intended and we just need to be aware of god's invitation this is god's purpose we were meant to do life together under the leading and the empowering of the holy spirit so that the world might witness our supernatural transformation and come to know god through our combined experience ah but you say (laughs) where do we start how do we do that how do we effectively unwrap the new life in our community As I said, that's a whole nother subject. I spent weeks with groups modeling this for them for years. And to teach it, I would need to make a whole different lesson just on methodology and how we go about this unwrapping and this becoming unbound. But I will give you a hint. In the groups I've led over the years, the most effective way to walk through this unbound process was to create an atmosphere of raw honesty and then to begin to tell our stories to each other. And for years I've watched both men and women come into small community groups or recovery groups and open their hearts to one another and nearly always I hear the same words. You know, I've never shared this with anyone else before, but here's my story. There is something in our shared experience that brings accountability simply by telling our stories. These small community groups are the perfect environment for telling our story. It's a place of honesty where we're able to understand each other. These ordinary people standing around (laughs) can become trustworthy friends who will stand with us Pray for us and fight alongside us, but never just to flatter us with empty words and never to become armchair counselors or sin police. But by asking the Spirit-inspired sensitive questions and giving back encouragement to people's journeys. You see, in the environment, a safe environment, a person can disclose and be real or they know they're not going to be judged or corrected, or counseled or given more books to read or told to do certain behavioral things where people are heard, people ask them sincere questions of needing to understand and giving back encouragement, people grow. That is an environment that is f- fresh with the soil of growth. When we are intentional in our transformation, by doing this together, our growth becomes exponential and effective. So, what happens in these life shared experiences? Well, they have three effects, and I'm going to stop. First, not only do we experience God's healing touch, it's primary, but secondly, others are also encouraged and feel welcome to join with us in sharing their stories as well. It draws them out. When we are honest and vulnerable, it draws them out to tell their story. I remember in our groups, they were flat until I told my story. When I would be honest and open my heart about my real story, other people would immediately respond to that and say, well, if it's safe for you, it's safe for me. And that's what happens. Then, Then there's the flow. That's the third thing. Now remember that whatever we do, people are always watching. And they know what is God and what is just man. They do. I mean, m- most unbelievers can spot a phony, they can also spot the authentic because they sense it in, in their soul. People are always watching. All over the world, they watch looking for the authentic movement of God in our midst. When they see it, he will draw them to Jesus as we live together as God's community. Let me pray for you. I know this is short and it was just a teaser, but it was important that I say this. For what God is about to do in our midst, I want you to know we need to gather as soon as possible, as soon as it's feasible. We need to come together with purpose and intent. And I think this is a beautiful picture of what might happen. So let me just pray for you here just a moment, and let's see if we can just lay this out before the Lord and ask him to come and attend to us. Father, thank you for this reminder that we're not only saved, but not out of just a dreadful darkness and hopelessness, but we're saved for something. We're saved into an incredible purpose. We, your family, are called to care for each other. And to do so in the same way you have cared for us. You are full of grace and mercy. And so will we be as we realize what is before us. Please come and do this in our midst. In our lives. In our communities. It is in Jesus' powerful name that we pray. God bless you, and good night, everyone. I hope we see each other soon. I miss you so much. God bless you. Bye-bye.